Welcome to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast, where we believe that connection is the opposite of addiction, vulnerability is the antidote to shame, and that recovery isn't just rewarding, but also a lot of fun. We're your hosts, Julie and Steve. Listen as we get together with friends to shed light on the hard things, talk about the other side of addiction, and how we create a life so full there's no space left for alcohol. This is the second episode of a two-part series where we talk about what each of us considers to be the hardest part of sobriety. We continue the discussion with John, Molly, and Liz and cover topics like learning to fall in love with failure, practicing responding instead of reacting, having the confidence to reach out when we're struggling, understanding and acknowledging the value of big emotions, even when they're hard to deal with. There are a lot of personal stories here that I think listeners will really be able to relate to. Remember that every time you hit like or especially subscribe or follow, it lets the podcast platforms know that you think we've shared valuable content here and other people that might benefit from our podcast will be more likely to see it. I think that kind of tees off the most difficult thing for me has been learning how to handle and cope with the big emotions and especially the difficult emotions. That was the thing I was most afraid of when I quit drinking was how I would handle the things that were really hard to feel because I do feel a lot of things very strongly. And I'm still just, I'm still just learning that. I don't have any real answers. It's kind of a moment by moment and case by case sort of thing. I would love to hear what you guys do as far as dealing with big things. Like I lost my dog in January and just like the the crushing grief of that. It was kind of out of the blue. She got sick and died all within a week. And that was really hard to deal with. I've got a lot of anxiety right now because one of my parents isn't well. And where is that going to go? And what's that going to look like? And so like all of those things are huge feelings for me. And they're, they're hard to cope with because I know now I don't need to shut them off. But sometimes it's hard to know what to do with them and to, to get through them in a healthy way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess the hardest thing for me to cope with a lot is anger. I've had a lot of anxiety, self-doubt, things like that over the years. I, some of that was getting better, actually, even a little before my sobriety. And I don't know if it's a lot of therapy or just sort of like been having finally told enough other people how to work on this and maybe eventually sank in on myself. There was a little bit more of a meta feel, but for me, anger is still the really hard one because it's like, I can get so destructive then. And, you know, one of the hard things is coming back and we're like, man, yeah, I just made a mess of whatever it is, like family dinner or something like that. How do I come back and be like, it's not that the emotions are wrong, but like, dude, you can't ruin your kid's night just because you're upset about something. Like there, there's ways to be mad and not have everyone in tears, right? Like. And, and even in sobriety, I've got that kind of destructive capacity. How do I like both respect the feeling and honor it without like taking it out on everybody and everything around me? I don't know. It's one of the things I'm getting a lot more practice at is coming back again later and being like, okay, that didn't work. Round two, which I never used to do. Like I used to walk away from it, hope it would all disappear by tomorrow. And I think that's, I think it's a, a different struggle in terms of like, I, I know what's going on, but I'll sometimes be saying there being like, 
it's a little frightening sometimes when I'm realizing like I'm not in control. I don't like who I am, and it's at least how I'm acting right now. And being like, what do I do now? You know, I don't think when I was drinking, I realized how my act, how out of control my actions were, or how destructive it yet. And so I I wouldn't feel half so bad about it. Just sort of there, but now I'm seeing it, and it's like, oh. So there's a little more guilt around that, trying to come back later and basically, I'm like, well, now what? When you have that anger, is it is it like at a situation, at a person, at like like is it all, or does it change? You know, depending on the scenario. I think I'm usually angry about things that I think are sort of unfair and sometimes a little childish definition of unfair but the, who gets the brunt of the anger is not necessarily related to who the problem is like it's usually just like over surrounds you know we are currently working on the fact that we were supposed to go on vacation two and a half weeks and my wife's COVID anxiety and said that we just canceled that and so we have not lost it it's like the first time in ages that something like this because like i see where she's coming from i disagree there on some of it like it is this is not crazy but it feels very hard and so things like this where it's like it's not fair that we have covid it's not fair that all these things happen but it's not fair that i am shot to pieces at work and then i had somebody come in who berated me being like why don't you guys actually have any experts in your field and i was like are you fucking kidding me and 25 years of my life I've been training to get here. Do you have any experts in And so then it's like, oh, well, we're not going to do the vacation. And I was like, oh my God, I don't have it in me for this conversation. But it turns out, and this is like the first time I've actually lived in real life. It's like, I can be like pretty upset. But I don't actually have to then like connect it with like yelling at people. I'd be like, okay. I think I, I must have had like a, a little, little bit of a breakdown because there's a blur. There's like a very hazy spot in my memory of that yesterday morning or whatever it was. But like, we're looking at it. We're like, all right, well, you know, by the end of the day, we're like, what are we going to do? You know? And I won't say it was pleasant or a fun thing, but it was, it was like grown up. We were like, okay, well, let's be productive about it. I guess that's gross, but it's, it's hard sometimes because it means coming back to the, coming back to the pain and coming back to the fact that like a lot of times I'm part of the problem whether it's like my expectations and resentments or that like I'm just not cooperating in the solution I think I I guess I've kind of learned something similar especially with my kids I have teenagers teenagers are just known for being difficult and doing everything they can to just fuck with you (laughs) My oldest daughter especially has this way of picking the worst possible time to walk in, interrupt everything I'm doing, and drop some kind of bomb that has the potential to just make me explode. And so I like we've done this enough now. And I have I mean, I, I used to just explode. So she wouldn't it, it and sometimes I swear she did it on purpose. I don't think she did. She just has really bad timing. But I've learned now, and I think she's almost used to it, where she'll walk in and drop some kind of news or some statement that should get a reaction. And I just say, okay, and that's it. And then she leaves. And I mean, it'll take me 24, 48 hours to process before I come back and I'm like, okay, 
I'm ready to have a conversation now. <laughs> and at first she was like, you didn't even say anything. And I'm like, well, I knew if I did say something that I would be reacting, not responding. And we both know how that goes. So now I, I just look at her and I say, okay, and leave it at that. And now she's just kind of used to it, which I think is a letdown from her because sometimes I think she almost wants like the outburst or, you know, she wants some kind of emotional reaction. And it, it's, it's good though, because then I don't say things that I regret later because that used to be a really common theme in my parenting of teenagers was just saying something in the moment and then regretting it later. So that pause is good. I don't know that 24 or 48 hours is necessarily a great idea because then it leaves the other person hanging, but my reaction is much more sane if I do that. Peter, to you for being able to stop the reaction and I mean to, to all of you for that because that's something that I still cannot do most of the time. And I understand that that can be very dangerous or destructive but I kind of feel like the reason I was drinking was to, you know, to to stop the big feelings or it, not not to stop them, but to give me just a break from them to like push pause and just have a mental break from all of the fucking feelings all of the time. And so it wasn't that I was numbing them out entirely because I was feeling them and reacting and all like the rage, the the crying, the like it was just all the like nonstop, right? So the difference between me drinking and me sober is that all of that is still there. I just don't have the pause button anymore, right? So it's just, and I keep waiting in sobriety for that to like come down, you know, as I get more control over myself and in my life, it'll, you know, everything will relax and I'll like zen out and it hasn't happened yet. And I'm at five months and so it's like I feel like my um, my cup of water is always just like one drop from like fully overflowing, right? Like it's already like bubbling over the top and it's just – so it's like it only takes one tiny thing for it to totally overflow. So I think – yeah, it's like you hear people talk a lot about the, the thawing out that happens in sobriety and it's – I, I mean, I think there's been maybe a little bit of that, but it's it's kind of like all of that has been there the whole time. And I'm I'm still trying to learn the tools for, you know, responding and not reacting. I think that still takes a lot of time and a lot of practice. Like you're five months in, it's still raw. It's still very raw and it's still very real. And you're still relearning how to react to that emotion so you're i mean that was a built-in i'm gonna drink and then you reacted to that emo that emotion immediately and it was just snap it was more of like an innate reaction to whatever situation or whatever comment or whatever it was and it's gonna slow down it, it something will happen sometime and you'll just take a deep breath and then react one time and you'll be like holy shit that was healthy. <laughs> yeah. I, I should point out, like, the fact that I get this right sometimes does not mean that, like, even half the time I'm hitting it right. Yeah. Um, this conversation we were like, that's right. I was surprised as everyone else in the room, though. I was like, well, this is going. Mm -hmm. What's the plan? I don't know. 
like things just happen. I guess maybe that's, you know, we think like what's hard is like learning to trust myself that things will happen reasonably. That's the area of like self-trust that's hard for me is I've always kind of been like this type A, plan it all out, control everything. I know what it's all going to look like. And like drinking obviously undermined a lot of that, but I don't know, maybe it was like that, that, that planning was like my defense against my drunken self. It's like, I'll have a plan. Maybe I can follow you and drunk. But now it's, I'm, I'm finding like it is actually possible to go into things where like not know what's going to happen and it's sometimes okay. And like, I'm like, have a little trust in myself and it's actually more, more genuine, more real when I do it that way. And that's cool, but it's still scary a lot of times. Like, I don't always know which situations I'll get right or wrong. Um, and I can start to guess a little bit, you know, if I'm, as I will all weekend, talking to my teenager about the schoolwork that's not been done this quarter, it's going to be rocky all the way around. It'll be tough. We learning experience for all of us, but there are other topics where I'm like, ah, I think I've kind of got this, you know? So I, I don't think it's such a linear thing or even like, but I sit there and practice at it. I just start to notice when they're like, wow, when you approach it more mindfully or more, more something, something else, there's some more sober way of approaching it to just start to find that things can look a little better. Yeah, and everything, everything that you try that might not give you the relief that you want or you don't feel like it's working the way that you want it to, I mean, failure is just an option to like learn more about what works and what doesn't. So I loved falling in love with failure. That was a huge part of being able to like stay sober in the beginning because I had like really constant resets for a while. And then even when I wasn't resetting, I felt like I wasn't doing enough or growing fast enough or knowing fast enough. Like I, it was really hard for me to not compare myself to people ahead of me, you know? And so I just had to really embrace the idea of, all right, I sucked at that. Um, that means I need to do it more. And so the things that I was bad at or that I that made me uncomfortable or that I still had trouble with were just things that I hadn't practiced at because I've literally everything in life is practice talking to people is practice handling emotions is practice if you want to meditate that takes practice before you get good at it just like a sport does you know you can't just go play baseball you have to practice at it and so I kind of embraced life like that too like emotions and everything like Oh, I had a breakdown over that. Mm, probably should practice that some more, you know. <laughs> so it, I mean, it's just one way of taking the shame out of it because, like, shame was a huge reason that I wanted to drink because I just it's easy when you feel like crap about yourself, and then alcohol de like depresses you even more. And once you drink more, because you already feel like crap, and so you're like, yeah, I failed, but I learned something. So. You know, in that way, the failure was valuable. That and there's a lot of, if something doesn't work, try something else. And if that doesn't work, then try something else over and over again until something does work. And that goes for even finding ways to relax or to, you know, just calm yourself in the middle of a, a crisis or whatever. There are different ways to do that. And I'm not great at it, but there are certain things that I know are effective. I know now, like, 
the most effective, I think, I think, especially if I'm dealing with something that's really hard to deal with, some of the what so, quote unquote negative emotions like grief or sadness or anger or anxiety or whatever, that like the most important thing for me is to find somebody to talk to about it. Yeah. And that doesn't even make it go away. But for some reason, it feels just a little bit lighter, a little bit easier to deal with. Um, and I know there are other things that I can be doing. That's probably the biggest one. The other thing that I do is just completely detach, which is, I think, really unhealthy. But I'll just like, I don't It's not always unhealthy. Sometimes it's actually really helpful to like sit outside of the issue and like see what's going on, almost like I'm watching somebody else's life or watching a TV show or something and see what's happening, like what, see my reaction, see the thing that's happening, see the other people in it. Um, and sometimes that's good because it gives me the perspective. Sometimes it's bad because I'm just detaching completely. So there's a balance in there with that. But I don't know, those two things, I guess, help a little bit. And then I've tried lots of things that are just completely ineffective and just leave me feeling worse. So I know not to do those things anymore. Talking about it for me is pretty much the main ingredient in all of the recipes. It's part of every recipe for the most part to begin with, but talking about it is like the main ingredient and how I approach most of sobriety really in the end is in getting over that fear of saying the thing that that's shameful or whatever that is and just getting it out, sharing it. And then never seems to be near as big a deal as what I made it out to be in my own head. Once it's out there and you share it and somebody else says, Oh yeah, I've done that or I've experienced that. Or, you know, somebody says that right thing. And if you don't share that or get it out, then you basically rob yourself a chance of somebody else helping you. That's why connection is the, the one thing that saves most of us, I think more than anything else, is just talking about all of this stuff. That's like part of the cure for every single one of these problems, I think, is just talking it out and connecting with everyone else, working your way through the hard stuff because it's so much easier to do when you have other people to lean on, other people's wisdom and experience if they've done it before, or just their empathy and compassion and letting you know you're not alone. I think that solves, at least lends a helping hand to the big emotions. It validates the emotions that you don't really trust or, I don't know, it seems to be the answer for a lot of, a lot of the hard parts of recovery. Yeah. For those big emotions too, Liz, you were talking about, I noticed that my first instinct when I feel something really powerful is to try and make it go away because it just inherently, even if it's really happy, really powerful happiness or joy, like I, I immediately want to dull it and like kind of calm it down. And that leads for me to eventual panic attacks because it's like putting the pot on like boiling water and it's just, it's, it doesn't work really in the long run. And so I, if I consciously remind myself, like I can move through this emotion, this is why I'm having this, I'm allowed to feel this. It is coming from this, this, and this thing, and I understand why it's here, and I understand why I think it can help me, and thank you for my subconscious trying to protect me from it, but I don't need it anymore. And then, like, I literally talk to myself in my head like that, and it's like a, a process where, in the end, I just 
kind of let it go, you know. And I that's how I've been managing my panic attacks better lately because they came back like real savagely after one year of sobriety. Still trying to figure out why that was. Really, I, my working theory is that uh, year one was so focused on just staying sober and then year two hit and I'm like my brain's like here we have a bunch more room to play let's revisit all your trauma <laughs> so so that's why uh that came back but yeah like moving through it instead of suppressing it is what helps me it's kind of like the Alice of the Heart book that a bunch of us have been reading too Brene Brown it's like the newest Brene Brown book but it's what it goes through 87 different emotions and describes them and defines them and just being able to name things too is amazing. Like to give it a specific name, not just I'm mad, but there's so many different types of mad and or happy. There's joyful, there's awe and wonder and just all these different emotions and being able to just name them, I think too, especially if you're having a conversation with someone kind of helps you wrap your head around it a little bit better and see it a little bit more clearly. That's been kind of interesting. That's new for me just from reading the book, but it's been interesting to experiment with. The neat part about that is, is if you name the emotion wrong, you feel the emotion wrong too. If you name the emotion anger and it's not actually anger, you're going to feel the anger instead of whatever else that was. Just like excitement and anxiety are the same physiological feeling. Right. So you can choose which one of those two you train yourself to feel, depending on the perspective that you give it. So it's really neat. As she says, when you, you know, if you name the emotion this, you're going to feel that because that's what you named it. Another example that she gave that I thought was really interesting was the difference between stress and overwhelm. It's one thing to be completely stressed out but you can still handle it. You need a little bit of help and then you'll still be able to get through it. Overwhelm is where you just can't do anymore. And so often when we're really stressed, we'll say I'm overwhelmed. And then that like incapacitates us and makes it so that we can't handle the stress because now we've told ourselves I'm overwhelmed. I can't do this anymore. So there's a lot to learning how to name what you're feeling correctly in order to process it and deal with it the right way so i thought that was that it's been a really interesting book to read i'll, I'll be a little contrary and, and maybe it's because i don't like talking to people or talking about emotions um but uh i i i think for me yeah i talk to myself some about it i think that's really helpful but i think one thing for me is about um what i can't do is sit there and stew on it like that's the worst thing or I'm future tripping like future conversations where I'm proving myself right some terrible plan right that's the worst and so for me sometimes it's like having something concrete focal to do like I get the pop some of it's in my it's usually in my head already I don't have to get it there it's just there and like I'm going to do something else and I know it's not really going to get out of my head it'll still be there somewhere but if I have something that's otherwise pretty all-consuming and then I come back a couple hours later. For me, there's a little bit of perspective, like, again, dealing a lot with me and anger, but like, how mad am I still? And if I'm like two hours later, I'm like, meh, we should probably do something about that. It, it's not that it was wrong to feel it, but like, I don't need to necessarily, like, I, I've 
taken that opportunity to kind of get some perspective and say, wait a minute, there's the difference between like my immediate reaction and kind of like the deeper foundational feeling of how I feel about it. And I think that for me, a part of it is not actually kidding. I'm not really great at the time with feelings. And so sometimes like I get out there and I'm like, I, I say things and like, I don't, I struggle with validation on it. I'm a little better when I keep it more internal. Like literally some of my therapists and folks are like, just what, how to like step back and watch my feelings from the outside and like let them go all right. And to kind of laugh at the crazy that I am. And I think that's useful. And then if I, if I give it a little space, I'm better able to do that. And for reasons, I don't, I don't have to share it. I step back and be like, man, let's separate the sort of crazy part and the actual, here's something you don't like, what are you going to do about it? I tend to be a kind of a problem solver. Like, what am I going to fix? And if the answer is you can't fix this, then start recruiting the help, you know? And it's like, okay, things with my kids. Sorry for this sort of like husband role thing. Julie, but like very much I defer a lot of some of the things are like the school and the homework to my wife, but I'm like, I know every time I get in there, it's a shit show. So like, we'll talk my wife and I, she'll help with a plan. And then like, I'll, I'll reinforce with the kids talk. I actually talk to my kids. So they're feeling some, especially my older son, like, how are you dealing with stress? And like yesterday at dinner, he's all stressed out. So he's like, I'm not hungry. And so I was able to take him for five or 10 minutes and talk about his feelings, but I can't do it alone. And so I just got to kind of get myself a little space. Maybe there's things at work, maybe it's things with my wife, but how do I find, how do I step back from the reaction and identify like, what is it going to, what's the fundamental problem here? And for me, I just need space, but it, it, it can't be just time where I can just dwell on it. Like that's horrible. Staying up late at night, thinking about my problems, it's a disaster. It's gotta be something like where I'm engaged in the world and kind of saying, what's the big deal here? Cause I'm, I'm really good at either worrying or getting angry about things that are really not that big a deal. You talked about problem solving there. One of the things that I do a lot of times if I'm in a situation that I just don't like or the ruminating, the stewing over something, I do that a lot, but I'm an action items person. So I will look at a situation and be like, what action item can I create from this so I can go do a thing to try to fix it or make it better or improve the situation in some way? And I do, I've had lists of action items like my relationship with this person is not very good. What can I do to fix it? And then I actually make a little action item and then I have to go and do it and then check it off because again, lists. Or like, I'm kind of lonely. I don't have a lot of friends in real life, especially friends that are supportive of the sober version of me. So that I actually, like one of my action items was call this neighbor that I know I really like and see if she wants to come over for tea and start building that friendship. And so if I make the action item and it has a little empty check box next to it, I will probably do the thing just so I can put the check in the box. It's very effective. <laughs> If I mail you a planner, can you like customize it for me, Julie? Because that's gonna... so cool. Well, I'm mail her my stresses and she'll send me a very lovely artistic yeah. um, action item list. Like, yeah. I don't have to see those yet. 
Yeah. Like like professional thought organizer, Julie. Like that's you. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I can like make your neuroses that's... seem so attractive. <laughs> I didn't know I could uh take that, that version of crazy and turn it into something useful, but now I feel like I have like a new new job oh, prospect. Um, yeah. That's a skill. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I think here's the thing, right? Of like what are you good at? Use that to balance out what's giving you a hard time, right? Like, you know, play to your strengths. And for me, when I'm depressed, anxious, angry, I like I have no strengths. That's what I view on myself. There's nothing to work with here. That's not really entirely true. There are some things that that I've got some value in and like part of what I've got to do and part of why like doing things for me is a way of sort of therapy is to be like, wait, I am productive. Like literally right now I am generating something that's really helpful. So that, I think that idea of being like, I, everyone's got their own definition of value. That I don't, for me, it's not super healthy to be too concrete about like being productive, but it sure feels good. I mean, the crafts I do, the reason I, part of the reason I like it is like I get something physical out of the end of me, like that, I mean, that, that feels good to me. And whether that's really like a sophisticated way of approaching the world or not, I don't know, it works for me. That's all I got. And I think as I've started to find that and know that about myself, it's like, okay, I have tools. I have a couple tools. Um, I don't always know what they do, but they're there. You know it works for you, right? That's the most important thing. You know it works. Yeah. And I don't think anything that any of us say, I guess, is ever going to work for like everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely no catch all. It's a whatever works for you. It might work for somebody else. It might not work as well for somebody else. But I mean, this is why we all talk about it because there's somebody in the room that's probably experienced something that you have and you might be able to share what works. Basil. So the problem with the kind of too much feeling, which Julie, you were talking about earlier, and I know you and I have talked quite a lot about that, but if you, if me speaking about myself personally, like if I've always felt like I'm too much, and so it makes it difficult to reach out and have that connection because if your thought is always I'm too much anyway it's too much for everybody then that's it's yeah it's like so I I tend to leave poor Julie these long rambling voice messages on telegram but I even in doing that is uncomfortable in a way because even though Julie couldn't be nicer about it but it, it it always feels like it's still too much right so like if the antidote not antidote uh, what's sort I'm looking for? Opposite. Not not opposite, but like the this the cure or whatever. For oh, sorry, I don't trust my brain anymore. <laughs> so tired. But yeah, it's if connection is what keeps us sober. It's like if you're if there's some internal, there's always like this internal war fighting against the connection, you know, because of this this thought that it's it's just too much like I am it's it's funny listening to you talk John how you take a step back and you process internally or quietly and and I'm I think an external processor or want to be and I want to just 
talk about it or like not necessarily like in a redundant way, but I just, I, I like kind of looking at it from all angles and bouncing ideas off of people. But, you know, for some people in my life, at least it's, it's like, oh, Liz, we're having this conversation again, right? Again, really, like really. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if that's the messaging that I'm internalizing, it's, it's, um, those people are jerks and you should stop hanging out with them. Yes. So, yeah, like the, the, whoever says that to you, like, okay, so I can understand, like, if someone is, is genuinely trying to talk to you and they're having a hard time and you just, you're at the end of your rope and you don't have a lot of mental space, right? Like, you can kind of kindly tell whoever your friend is, like, listen, this is really important to me and I love you and respect you, but I just don't have the ability to talk to you right now, like... Um, can you please reach out to another friend? That is how you correctly handle someone who is suffering when you can't. Like, you don't say, God, you're too much. Like, <laughs> that's rude. That's extremely rude. And whoever says that to you is very wrong. And they shouldn't say that to you. And I hope they're still not saying that to you because they're very wrong. So, um, yeah, like, it would. I would just remember, like, if you have those thoughts, obviously they were put there by people who have have reinforced this idea that you're too much and like just remind yourself like that's wrong and that shouldn't be there because those people were jerks and they were wrong and they shouldn't have told me that because <laughs> i had the same thought like exact same yeah you're you're you that that's a great thing you know yeah. like who the who are the best tools to surround yourself with i have no idea but i think whatever works for you works for you it's just like how do you how do you build the structure around it? Well, yeah. you you say you know you send me long voice messages, which I love by the way. Like when I get a, a five or ten minute Liz voice message, like I love it makes me happy. But I do the same thing to you, and like how does it feel when you get a really long voice message from me? When I'm like Liz, I need help. I don't know how to deal with this. What's your take on this situation? Like for me, when you give me that, like I'm honored that you trust me enough to share that much with me, that you trust me enough to want my opinion or my perspective or my thoughts on a situation that you're dealing with. And I imagine that goes both ways. There are times where I look at the the timer on my voice message and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm at eight minutes. I need to wrap this up. <laughs> but that's just what we do. And I think there's there's something really great in that. It feels good to receive those too. So maybe it's just it has to be the right person. But I love it when I get those long messages from you. I love having those conversations with you. And I think that's what we need to find is just the right people to approach those things with and the right people that, you know, support what our needs are. Just because somebody else isn't able to support those needs doesn't mean you shouldn't have those needs. It just means you need to find the right person to to help meet them or support them, I think. So Liz... I'll tell you at the beginning of like, once I started connecting with people and started, you know, there was IAS and then there was, who do you chat? You try and connect with somebody, you try and start, you know, you swap phone numbers or you, you, you get, you find each other on Facebook or whatever it is. And, and then, yeah, I hopped on discord and then you start sending people messages on discord and you start, I, I attribute it to like throwing darts and that was, I think that's how the good mornings kind of started. It's, it started with 
it was something I wish somebody did for me. That's how it came about. And that's still where that comes from. Right. But it was like throwing darts. Just threw a dart and you see it to see if somebody would reply back. And because I really didn't have any connections, somebody would reply back and say, good morning and say, how are you? And it starts this conversation. I don't know them from a hole in the ground. They don't know me from a hole in the ground. It turns into, uh, oh, this is how my day is going, blah, 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 blah. You have no expectation out of that relationship. I have no expectation out of that relationship. But I say good morning again the next morning, and then we have another conversation. So that dart hit the board. How long that lasts, I have no idea. There's people that I say good morning to now, and, and it's just a con it's it's barely a conversation. There's people I say good morning to now, and it's still an, a longer conversation. That relationship has continued to develop. So, and sometimes those relationships only serve a purpose for the period of time that they're necessary for those two people. And then they move on because that person has served their purpose in your life as well as you have theirs. And sometimes you, and you still become friends. It's just not the same as it was before. And so throwing those darts out and then not having the expectation of seeing what happens. And then you end up with like some really, really, this, this is how I ended up with like some really cool friendships of people that I would have never said hi to, to begin with based on some preconceived notion because they had an, a, a ring in their ear or our ear and I'm holding my eye, but like, you, you know what I mean? Uh, or, or the way their hair is cut or like, that's all old Steve. But when you just see a name and then you see a picture after you're like, oh, cool. That's awesome. Like, it's just different. So like, just keep throwing darts because those eight, eight minute messages, those are gifts. That's friendship. That's, that's, you threw the dart and you hit. You hit close to the bullseye or you hit the bullseye. That's the fun. And just keep trying. It happens. It'll come and it'll go and it'll grow and, and, and it'll recede. Everything's an ebb and flow. And it's just really cool how all of that happens. And it comes out of the blue. I think, Liz, too, if you're anything like, me and I think a lot of the ways that you express like your fears like I immediately think oh yeah like me too <laughs> I have to remind myself too that if, if someone's talking to me and like later they come back and they say like that whole conversation was terrible and I wish I never had it like you know because that's happened to me like there have been people in my life like when I when I was didn't know who I was or I was still drinking and like they would try and make me feel like garbage like a day or two after we talked. It's like, that was a total waste of my time. And so like those kind of things, they stick with you. And now I remind myself like I'm talking to what I'm assuming is a healthy adult. And if this healthy adult does not want to be talking to me, then they don't have to. And so therefore, any conversation I have with someone is something they want to do. Like they want it. It's not like I'm forcing them to do it. And so, and if they don't want it, then they'll either say, hey, I don't need this right now, which cool, like let them have that. Or they'll just maybe take a few days to respond or something. But I think it's really refreshing when you start 
associating with people who take accountability for their own emotional needs because then you don't feel like you have to prepare and like look out for should the conversation go wrong like they actually know how to disengage if it's not serving them you know so it's not like you constantly being like oh am i too much like should i stop right now you know it's like they understand they get it so that's what i don't think it's how to do it's just yeah you know, like it's learning as i say like i messaged julia it's like i like what one time like what what is, what difference to again like how does this work like i <laughs> I'm not really good at this. Can someone, someone pass me the cheat sheet? So I, I think it, yeah, it's not entirely natural to figure that out either. Uh, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be weird that like it's, it's hard or awkward at times. That's, that's part of the course. Yeah. That's what we're all learning how to do. It makes us good adults. I want to thank John, Molly, and Liz for joining us tonight. We'd also like to thank our listeners for sharing this space with us. Remember to subscribe or follow to keep getting new content. And if you have any comments or topic suggestions, we'd love to hear from you at throughtheglassrecovery at gmail.com. We'll see you next time as we continue to explore life on the other side of alcohol.